I don't know what to tell my kids. I, I do. I, I, it's, it's very stressful. The COVID crisis hits home. Uh, my family and friends have been helping me out. I expect another 10 or 20,000 evictions and foreclosures. Out of work, out of food, lawmakers on the hot seat. We are up against the wall here. We cannot afford to get to the kinds of numbers we had in South Florida back in July. COVID and the new congressman. Let your guard down maybe for a second or so, and then that's when it hits you. And about those elections. Alex is in here. Hold Alex. on a minute, I'll call you right back. The fake candidates recruited to run, and a disgraced lawmaker whose fingerprints are all over it. It's all this week on This Week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin today with the surge, the numbers, the context, and the challenge. Miami-Dade's new mayor inherited the current second surge in COVID-19, and this week, she and her husband are among the new positive cases. But she is still on the job, and she joins us now from her home in Palmetto Bay via Zoom. Mayor, good morning, glad you could join us. Thank you, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Glenna. Uh, uh, Mayor Levine Kevin, let's begin with you. You and your husband fighting coronavirus. How are you feeling? Thank you, Michael. It's been a week and we definitely had symptoms, fortunately minor cold-like symptoms, but congestion, aches and pains, um, a sneezing, a drippy nose. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely not a good feeling. I'll be very happy. Uh, when I'm cleared. We can yeah. actually hear it in your voice a little yes. bit, but you look amazing. So <laughs> good you. to see that you are still able to work. Mayor, you inherited this, um, sort of. You were a commissioner, so you were already well entrenched in it. And yesterday, you and some others had a press conference at one of the food lines, and you essentially urged, begged Congress yes. to get it done, to get more COVID relief. Uh, it, there is no indication if compromise will come this week. There is a deadline. Things are ending. Money is stopping. Paint a picture, if you will, of Miami-Dade's situation when it comes to the food and the housing and the business relief that it has been paid for under the CARES Act. Correct, Glenna. People are so dependent upon this CARES Act funding. Uh, we are in a tourism-based economy. So many out of work, so many businesses shuttered or reduced, and people are really struggling to get by. We've fed hundreds and thousands of households with this food uh, available uh, through these distributions. We've provided programs through the CARES Act dollars to help pay rent, mortgage, help veterans, help nonprofits, help struggling families. Uh, all of that has been thanks to the Federal CARES Act program. And it, it is due to expire the end of December, but the needs are not going away. In fact, we're very concerned that the needs will escalate because of the number of people that might face eviction. So it is more essential than ever that the federal government come to our aid. So, Mayor, is there a plan B? Well, Glenna, I've been assembling all of the advocates uh, around homelessness, uh, housing advocates to look at the housing situation. Uh, certainly the business community has been very active in looking at what kind of support we can help our small businesses, how we can restore our tourism economy. Um, uh, we're going to be working on accelerating um, infrastructure projects that will create jobs that can put people back to work, working with our career source. So we're doing everything on every possible front. Uh, that to be said, we are not out of the woods. 
We're grateful that the vaccine is on its way. We know that the most vulnerable and most at risk will be the first up. It will be several months before the public yeah. has access to the vaccine. And uh, I've heard it said that it'll be till the fall uh, until we can sort of uh, move around as normal. Yeah, uh, Mayor Levine Kava, you said earlier this week that Miami-Dade County is up against the wall on COVID. In fact, all of South Florida is up yes. against the wall. We are having in Broward and Miami-Dade roughly 3,000 new cases every day this week. Hospitalizations are up by 48%. <coughs> now, I, I need to ask you, because I know other mayors have also expressed to Glenna, to me, to other media, the concern that you want Governor DeSantis to give you and other mayors greater authority to enforce mask mandates, social distancing regulations, other things get tougher on people who will not obey these regulations. But you can't even get them on the phone. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, we do have tools in place. We do have a curfew that's been upheld by the court. We do have a mask requirement that we are enforcing. Uh, we are giving out masks. So I brought together all the city mayors and they have signed on with me to uh, together do enforcement. Uh, also, we brought together all the CEOs of the South Florida Regional Hospitals to make it clear that we're at capacity or approaching capacity for our hospital beds and that being a, a key indicator of how we will get through this pandemic. Yeah, well, uh, let me interrupt, if, if I may, it's my understanding the Miami-Dade Police Department did not issue one citation to anyone for not wearing a mask in the month of November. So you've got a law, an ordinance on the books. What good is it if you can't really enforce it? Well, we can enforce it, Michael, and, and we will. So we're looking at uh, being friendly and helpful to people. Miami Beach was very successful <clears throat> in this passing out masks. So we will be, we've started passing out masks through Miami-Dade County and making sure that all the city uh, police departments also have access to masks. And we will be enforcing the mask mandate. We cannot apply fines, but we can uh, issue civil citations. And uh, you know, that's a last resort. First resort is to get people to cooperate. And tomorrow we are launching a new campaign. So stay tuned. That will really focus on people who are doing the right thing, lifting up uh, those examples bringing our community to together to understand with one voice, one message. Uh, we've got a, a chief medical officer guiding us and we have uh, unanimity of opinion uh, with the cities and uh, with, with the healthcare uh, sector that we need to work together. Masking works, testing works, participating in contact tracing works, distancing works. Uh, being outside works. So these are the things we know we must do, and we're not going to equivocate. We're going to be very clear and speak with one voice about all of so this. So everybody is also hoping that those vaccines work, and you mentioned those a little earlier. Um, let, let's talk in some detail, because we have gotten emails about people wondering what are the logistics of mm -hmm. getting those vaccines? We know that Jackson Health Systems is one of the first public health systems in Memorial and Broward, Jackson and Dade, to get a supply could be this week if FDA gives that approval uh, in charge of disseminating them not only to other hospitals, but to those who need it first. But how is that monumental logistics mm -hmm. effort going yes. to be done? Do you have detail on that? 
So I've been in communication with Carlos Magoya, who will be uh, administering the distribution to the healthcare community. Uh, and uh, I feel confident that we're going to have a good plan. You know, our hospitals have really become uh, collaborators through this uh, pandemic. And so uh, they're, they've got a plan in place. They'll be moving forward with that. Uh, next up will be the CVS and Walgreens uh, private sector helping to distribute to vulnerable seniors and nursing home residents. <clears throat> we do not yet have the details for the public distribution phase. <clears throat> we do not yet know how that vaccine will come down, but our fire department uh, is, is uh, ready. Uh, they have had plans from previous distributions and they're ready to spring into action. So they have, are you comfortable that the county has the actual equipment and man and woman power and the, the freezers needed to go from one place, the airport, to another place to disseminate to the pharmacies? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the plan is there, but is the, are the devil in the details, are those there too? Sure, we don't know exactly which vaccine will be coming and what level of uh, storage will be needed. So we have not received that information yet for the general distribution, but we have uh, demonstrated how agile we are on the testing, we sprang into action. Uh, hurricane, uh, after all, we have a lot of experience handling uh, emergency deployment. So I have every confidence that we'll be able to rise to this occasion as well. Uh, you know, Madam Mayor, uh, one of our loyal viewers is Professor Paul Hunt, taught at FIU in social work. I know he knows you, you know him. Uh, he sent an email with lots of good questions yesterday, and one of them is involves there are roughly half a million people in Miami-Dade over the age of 65 who are probably going to get their shot at a CVS or a Walgreens. Uh, but are you assured that the people, there are enough people uh, who work for CVS or Walgreens uh, who are going to be able to give these shots when the vaccine gets there? Well, that's a great question. Thank you to my dear friend Paul Hunt for always being on top of important social policy questions. Uh, you know, I believe that CVS and Walgreens are very well situated uh, because they have a great network of, of pharmacies and clearly there's a lot of people looking for work. So we uh, hopefully, uh, I'll be happy to follow up on that, on that very question, uh, but I, I feel uh, that, that we're going to be able to, to do this again. Yeah. We've and managed the testing for the seniors. I'm sure we can manage the vaccinations. Right, the and, very, and very quickly, is the federal government going to help pay the cost of hiring the people to do this? I mean, we're talking about a lot of people and a lot of money. Correct, and uh, we're talking about deploying these vaccines for free. So uh, I don't, I don't know exactly the the mechanism for the staffing, but I know that the entire infrastructure is designed to not be dependent upon cost. Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. A yeoman, yo woman's <laughs> effort dealing with COVID and being with us this morning. And we for sure appreciate it and wish you and Mr. Kava the best. Right. Thank you so much. Have Thank a hot you. cup of tea and we hope you <laughs> feel a lot better. Thank Martin. you. A lot of chicken soup. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, up next, the former mayor who's on his way to Congress. Carlos Jimenez is going to join us live. That is next. One of South Florida's newly elected members of Congress is going to be going to Capitol Hill orientation, but it's going to be virtual. 
Carlos Jimenez remains in Miami in quarantine. He and his wife both recovering also from positive COVID results. Congressman-elect Jimenez is one of two incoming House members from South Florida who flipped districts from blue to red. Carlos Jimenez joins us via Skype. It's becoming, Congressman-elect, the very familiar question, how on earth are you feeling? And the missus, how are you feeling? Um, Lourdes feels fine, and uh, I feel I feel fine too. Though I've had um, you know something like um, feels like a head cold. Uh, got a really strange uh, ache in my back, uh, upper back, um, little uh, runny nose. Uh, outside of that, I uh, feel pretty good. I'll tell so, you what we what we told the mayor Daniela Levine Cava just a few minutes ago. You look good. I don't know how that happens, but you look good. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's, um, um, I guess, you know, what they said, you know, you, you better look good than actually feel good. I mean, I, I feel I feel fine. So, yeah. but uh, kind of the business. outside of a little head cold, I'm good. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose this is one of the few Sundays where at 7 a.m. you weren't on the Biltmore Golf Course playing 18 holes. So we hope you're out there. Uh, you know, Congressman-elect, let me ask you a very simple question. Who, in your opinion, won the presidential election? Well, I think uh, you know uh, the the uh, right now you know the it looks like uh, you know Joe Biden won, but that doesn't mean that the president doesn't have every right to uh, appeal and uh, and go to the court system to determine you know if he was the right winner or not. And so you know uh, there's a process. And we need to let that process uh, work itself out. And then at the end, uh, somebody will be declared yeah. the winner and then we'll move on. No, I, you know, I don't think a reasonable person would disagree that Mr. Trump doesn't have a right to challenge the results in any state. Uh, and he's filed at least 32, 33 lawsuits. So far, he has lost every one of them. And at the rally last night in Valdosta, Georgia, I watched a little bit of it. And he said once again that he won the election, that the Democrats cheated, this was fraud, it was a rigged election. And frankly, listening to this for a few minutes, I came away thinking this man is in just total denial, not recognizing reality. Did you hear the president last night? I didn't hear too much of it. But again, like I said, you know, everybody in this country has a right to appeal uh, whatever in a court of law. And the president's taken all of the, all the avenues that are available to him and like any other citizen he has a right to do so again there's a process let the process work itself out and at, at the end somebody will be sworn in on january 20th as the president of the united states so you came to power or coming to power you're about to go through this orientation i guess you've already done some of that um on this kind of red wave in miami-dade you in a neighboring district you flip seats from red to blue it was a bruising and nasty campaign all the way around so now that you have uh, a district where president trump did so much better than he did in 2016 tw 22 points better um yeah. up by six is there now for you as a congressman any incentive to be more bipartisan, more less tribal as you become a decision maker in Washington. And I ask this really sincerely now though, as Congress now is, is struggling to come up with a compromise to fund across the country people who, especially here in ground zero for COVID, people who are really struggling. Is there that incentive for you? Because you are that kind of guy. You've been that kind of administrator. Yeah. Yeah, I am, and, uh, and I, I ran on that, that, uh, you know, I wanted to reach across the aisle, that I wanted to be, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to govern from the center-right position, 
my opponent, on the other hand, was completely partisan uh, during her two years, and I, I and I'm something different. So you know, I'll try to be as bipartisan as possible. Look, we, there's a very slim majority for the Democrats in this particular Congress. We picked up a bunch of seats, and so that I would expect us to try to work closer and get things done for America. I think it's very important that we pass some kind of a stimulus package for uh, COVID-19 that helps the people and help those small businesses that are really struggling or going out of business or about to go out of business. We need to do something for them. Uh, and so I would expect that something's coming out of the 116th Congress, if not the 117th Congress is going to have to get right on it to help the people of America you know, with this uh, pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Congressman-elect, uh, as you well know, the Democrats, Republicans in Congress finally appear close to a consensus on a new relief bill. It would be just short of a trillion dollars, like $990 billion. Uh, you will not be there to vote on that. But if you, if you were going to be there, would you vote for that? Well, I always said that I, wasn't, I was not in favor of the original $3 trillion, you know, $2 trillion. I thought that uh, there were so many things in there that were not really tied to COVID-19. It was a wish list of every, you know, every major program that somebody wanted to pass for the last 10 years. We have to be very careful with, uh, with the money that we're spending because look, this is gonna be paid for by us or by our children or by our grandchildren. And so it has to be very specific, targeted to what the needs are for the COVID-19. I haven't seen the specifics of this compromise, but the number I like the number a heck of a lot better than I did the three trillion dollars that was being floated about, you know, by some members of Congress before the election. You know, you as as Miami-Dade mayor, you you got a little tough on COVID at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You forced closures. You forced a curfew. Um, you were mayor then. Now you are congressman-elect in a, a very red state right now, where the governor is holding different kinds of events where we see people with no masks on. We saw the president's Georgia rally last night. I didn't see any masks there. Uh, we are, masks have become political. And I, I wanna hear, I wanna let our viewers hear you weigh in now as Carlos Jimenez, Congressman-elect on masks as a political weapon. And what, what would you advise and what are you gonna be telling your colleagues and what might you tell the governor and the president as, as role models? Look, uh, you know, Congressman Jimenez is no different than Mayor Jimenez. I'm not going to change my my tune or, or my views just because I'm a congressman. And so, uh, some of my views were not very popular with the people of my own, my own party. But I listened to the medical advisors. Uh, I had a group of medical advisors guiding me the whole way, and I listened to them. And I'm going to be following the science. And masks are something which is useful to tamp down COVID-19. And it's not so much that you know, you're protecting yourself. It's actually, you are protecting somebody else if you had COVID-19. And the problem with this disease is that nobody knows who has it because you may have very minor symptoms. You may have no symptoms at all. And that, but it's devastating to those people that, uh, <coughs> that have underlying medical conditions and are elderly, it's a devastating disease. And so for me, wearing the mask was always a sign of respect to my fellow citizen. And so I when you no see those, pardon that. me for interrupting, when you see those events where nobody is wearing masks and they are with the people from your party who are the leaders of this state and this country, what do you think and what might you say? Do you have an active role in that decision? 
I, I don't have an active role now in that decision because those are decisions that are made at the local level, uh, whether they allow that or not. And so I was pretty, uh, I was pretty active in how we handled COVID-19 here in Miami-Dade County. Um, a lot of people felt I was too strict. A lot of people felt I was too lenient. Uh, and so I took fire from both sides. I followed the medical advice and uh, of, my, of the people that I chose to advise me uh, that were infectious disease control doctors and felt that these were the measures that we had to take in order to try to you know, slow this curve down or at least you know, tamp it down so that we never uh, exceeded the capacity of our hospital system to take care of patients. And we never did. Even though we were up to 2,300 during the summer, I don't believe we're anywhere close right now. Yes, we have a surge, a surge that we had expected for some time, even with all the measures. And, and so, um, you know, I just because I'm in Congress doesn't mean I'm any different. But, you know, I am uh, a conservative, but I also am a paramedic and I am a, a firefighter. And I know about infectious disease and I know the things, the steps that we have to take in order to, to slow down the spread of this disease so that we never ever exceeded the capacity of our hospitals to treat our patients. And I'm glad to say that we never did. Congressman-elect Carlos Jimenez, <clears throat> always good to speak with you. Wish you a speedy recovery and for Lourdes, your wife as well. Ditto. Be well, stay, stay, stay healthy. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, up next, prosecutors are focusing on show candidates that disrupted, uh, disrupted three Florida Senate races. What will Florida lawmakers do about it? We're going to ask two of them when we come right back. By now, the evidence is overwhelming that at least three Florida Senate races on the ballot last month were tainted by candidates who ran as independents, but whose intentions were not to win, but to manipulate the vote. And the investigation into who masterminded and funded those shills now includes Frank Artiles, who is a former state senator who resigned in disgrace in 2017, and who now is asking to be appointed to the Miami-Dade Commission. The people in a position to stop political manipulation are current state lawmakers, and two of them are with us today, as you see. Annette Tadeo is Democratic state senator representing Kendall and Southwest Miami-Dade, and Chip Lamarca, Republican, representing Broward's coastal communities from Hollywood all the way north to the county line. Welcome to you both. Great to see you. How are you? Great to be with you. Good. Um, Annette Tadeo, could I encourage you for this conversation, unless you're around a lot of other people, to take your mask off? I don't know that it's in violation of any... Well, you're not wearing a mask. Well, I'm not. You... Now I see. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Old eyes. Anyway, uh, here we have the information fairly, I think, in a brilliant piece of reporting in the Miami Herald, also by my, my colleague, Glenna Milberg, that uh, the election in Senate District 37 was totally bogus and it was manipulated. This can candidate, Alex Rodriguez, was recruited to come in. Uh, Annette, you know the district very well. You represent District 40 right next door. What, if anything, is the legislature going to do about this? <clears throat> We, we should. We should absolutely fix this problem. Uh, obviously, anybody that wants to run can run. But what people are tired of is not just the fact that we've got certain operatives that actually recruit candidates 
and as Glenna Milberg so well investigated, they switched from Republican uh, to Independent uh, uh, the day before they filed. Uh, all of them filing on the same day with the same kind of information, uh, the same, uh, it really was very clear that there was some kind of cahoots going on behind these candidates. But we at the legislature should absolutely take out the dark money and, and the PACs. And we need to fix it because right now our laws have no teeth. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, we actually have a situation where PACs can open up uh, one day, like a month before an election, get money from some company, like in this instance, a company in Atlanta that's out of a P.O. box, and then they turn around and, and, and close down after they, they, the election's over. We need to put teeth behind that so you're not allowed to do that. The representative, uh, Lamarca, who's here with me, he knows we, we report everything. We say where we got our money from. We shouldn't have hidden money in politics. So, Representative Lamarca, I, I, I'm really interested in hearing from you on this. We've all known each other a long time. I'm going to just put this out on the line. This is not a partisan issue. This, in this particular right. race, this was pretty egregious, and just we found it. But this has been going on long before the 2020 yeah, and Democrats, election. Democrats have pulled the stunt as well as Republicans. We and don't want to so, pretend be you know sanctimonious that it's only Republicans who did it. But Chip Lamarca, give us your reaction. What should happen here? Actually, well, I, make it, Chip. Can I ask? My my question was going to be, and forgive me. My question was going to be, as a Republican, there has not been a bill filed yet about this. Where is the outrage? That's the question. Well, I, I agree with uh, Senator Tadeo. The outrage is in this dark money and these political committees like Ford Majority that try to take out Representative Lupus, myself, and about eight other representatives in, uh, on a, on a, uh, from a federal pack that's chaired and, and, uh, and, and staffed by people like Ted Deutsch and Eric Holder, uh, big money from uh, Mr. Bloomberg. So I, I agree with her on the dark money. From the standpoint of this particular case, uh, having been a party chair, and I believe uh, Senator Tadeo was as well, um, you know, the, the exact opposite of the Miami-Dade issue is what happens in Broward. Clearly, it's the, there, there are closed elections with uh, shill candidates from the Democrat Party. We don't get to vote for our, our sheriff and uh, countywide constitutional officers. So, I mean, from a standpoint of uh, what happened here, look, uh, I don't condone anyone breaking the law, but the reality is if somebody did something wrong, you know, they should go through the process, and if they broke the law, they should be held accountable. In this case, we've got somebody who stepped forward and uh, held themselves accountable and said, hey, it was me. Um, so from a standpoint of, of the wait, particular- who, who, Wait, who was that? Who said it was me? You just uh, mentioned uh, uh, former Senator Artilles. Uh He did not step, just, just to set the record straight, he did not step forward at all publicly. The Miami Herald sourced an amazing uh, bar conversation where he took credit for it privately to someone at the bar. Uh, okay. We have evidence of communications between Alex Rodriguez sharing with Frank Artiles his progress and becoming a candidate. So publicly, though, he has not admitted to anything. Okay. Well, to, your, to, the, to that point, uh, the, the process will play itself out. The Secretary of State and the, and the Florida Elections Commission will, will work through it. I don't see that. Uh, I don't see that if they broke the law, they'll be punished. I don't see that there's any, anything physically to fix here. Um, if we're talking about uh, JJR versus uh, this this NPA, there, you know, Miami Dade has a unique system where 
you not only define yourself by your first last name, whatever's on the ballot, but you also punch a number. So, I mean, it, it's our job as candidates to, you know, set ourselves aside from or, you know, d differently from another candidate. I look back a few years ago, there was a Chris Smith versus Chris Smithmeyer race in Broward County. Nobody was fooled. Chris Smith won. Yeah. Well, um, the, these kinds of shenanigans, you're right, Chip. Uh, they have gone on. And just for the record, let me point out that JJR is Jose Javier Rodriguez, who was the state senator in District 37 and was a Democrat. Uh, Annette Tadeo, let me ask you, I think that Glenna has posed this question as well. Uh, current state law says that someone who wants to be a candidate who is registered as a Republican or a Democrat, if you change your party, you've got to wait a year before you can offer yourself as a candidate for public office. But you don't have to wait at all if you change from Republican or Democrat to NPA and then you can run. That's what this guy, Alex Rodriguez, said. Why, I mean, why doesn't the legislature look at that? We, we should, and I, and I can tell you, I just got appointed uh, the vice chair of ethics and, Ele and elections committee at uh, the, the Florida Senate by our uh, president, who is a Republican. We absolutely must, uh, and I have bills in drafting right now specifically addressing some of these issues that you say, but we're going to need to both parties come together to say enough that people are tired. People are tired of of the hiding of the money. And you know, one thing is to say, uh, we don't like certain big packs that came in here and spend money. But if you know that the money came from Bloomberg, then it wasn't dark money. You know where the money came from. I'm talking about packs that absolutely closed down and never, nothing happens to them. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this case. And that's why I filed in the courts a uh, 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 discovery to actually find out where did all this money come from. My own picture was used in some of these races in Central Florida to try to hurt in primaries. This has happened to me in my races as well. So this is nothing new, but we have to fix it. And I think it needs to be that we are coming together to fix it because the people are tired of it. This is not Republican or Democrat. This is about democracy. You know, there, there okay. is, I'd, I'd like to, to pose this question to Chip Lamarco because there, in this case, in District 37, there were flyers put out for Alex Rodriguez to absolutely make him look like a Democrat. There were all the Democratic issues on the flyers. W were people fooled? The spread was 32 votes. But here's the question. Our new senator in this district is Ileana Garcia, the Republican, who was a perfectly legitimate candidate and hopefully will be an amazing senator. And she took to Twitter to sort of defend this election and defend her win. Chip, is she kind of a, a victim in this? Will her term forever be questioned by some people who wonder what might have happened? Glenn, I don't, I don't think so. I, I certainly, I don't consider that the case. I've not met uh, Senator uh, Garcia, but uh, I, I, would, uh, I would say this. If the election was close enough that it was 32 votes, regardless of whether we think it's because there was a third candidate in there, then I put the onus back on the former state senator who I've had the opportunity to speak to on issues uh, that, you know, you, you have to get your message out. Look, what, as Senator Tadeo said, dark money or not dark money, but big money coming in here and distorting our, our voting records, physical voting records we've taken votes on, you know, that's up to us to defend. And, you know, I had to do that to the tune of uh, $1.65 million for a house seat in, in Broward County, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, but when you think about her, her uh, record is going to be that she won her election 
and I, I commend her on that. And uh, I look forward to working with the senator from uh, District 38 and as well as all the other senators. And, and hopefully we'll get some good bills passed and uh, th that will represent the uh, the donor counties that we are in Broward, Palm Beach and Miami-Dade. So uh, I'm looking forward to going back up in January and getting some great things done. We're all for that. We are for that. And we want to make it just on the record. We have invited Senator Garcia to be a guest on this program. Mm -hmm. In fact, both Lena and I have put in calls to Frank Artelis and have not heard back. So we'll we'll keep trying to do that. But thank you. And today, Chip LaMarca, thanks very much. Thanks. Great day. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about all this week's big news with the roundtable. We have got a lot to talk about on this week's roundtable, and we've rounded up the right people to do it. So, some introductions first. Juan Carlos Planas, JC, his friends, is an attorney in Miami, a former Republican state representative who is now a Democrat and advises Democratic candidates. Justin Safey is a lawyer, our political guru, former <laughs> spokesman, and policy advisor to Governor Jeb Bush, and currently is a partner at Ballard Partners in Washington. Hello, everybody. JC, morning. Justin, good morning. We are good afternoon now. We're great, great to see you. Yep. I don't know if you just heard the conversation we had with the two current state lawmakers, but JC, let me just ask you, do you have any realistic expectation that the current legislature is going to do anything to crack down on all the dark money? I mean, dark money that was involved here, more than half a million dollars in the state Senate district uh, races? Michael, we have to be very frank. We can call it dark money, but Florida is a pay-to-play state, and many people know this. The truth is, is that the, the 500000 that were raised, put into proclivity, perhaps, and then put into these political committees, that doesn't happen without people at the top knowing. So we can call it dark money, but somebody donated that money. Somebody asked whoever donated that money to do so, and we have to operate under the, the account that, you know, People knew that this was happening. But, well, people might have known, but the public didn't know. And I can tell you no. that firsthand based no. on emails that we've gotten since our reporting. Justin, I'm not going to call it dark money. Let's call it mystery money because it is <laughs> mysterious and it's perfectly legal to be mysterious. No doubt. There is no problem with being mysterious money. But candidates can't have mysterious money. If I look, if you were a candidate, I could see who donated to you. So somebody doesn't want people to know that they funded a fake candidate. What it, Ethically, why aren't people outraged about that? Well, I, I'm outraged about it. I think it's absurd, and I think the Florida legislature should do something about it. I don't have a problem mm -hmm. calling it dark money, because it's. To, I take JC's point that somebody knew, but not many people know, and we, as the voters, deserve to know. We need yeah. to know who funded this campaign to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's a way to fix it. The Florida legislature can fix it if they want to. They don't have to allow these dark money uh, infusions of cash into these campaigns. That's one of the things they should fix. They should also fix the fact that, as Michael said earlier on the show, that you can convert from a Democrat or Republican to independent less than a year. They ought to change that. They ought to make it a one-year requirement, even if you change, even if you become an independent candidate. And they need to look at the residency requirement. I personally have yes. a big problem with the fact that people can live in Orlando and uh, and, and, and register to, to run for office in Miami-Dade County. 
Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, Glenna did some great reporting on this, and she found out that this Alex Rodriguez actually lives in Boca Raton. He didn't right. live down in the 37th uh, Senate District, although he lied on his application and said, in fact, that he did. He, I mean, I think, Justin, your point is when you register to run for an office, you, one should have to present proof of residence, shouldn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. So, JC, yes. so let, let's talk about a little bit about now that we know this former lawmaker, Frank Artiles, who mm -hmm. you know, uh, who right now works as a lobbyist, who is up for a, an appointment tomorrow. Miami Dade's 12 remaining commissioners are going to pick their 13th colleague for District 8 for that open seat. And we're looking at him right now. Um, he resigned. He had a bit of a, a scandal uh, and resigned in 2017 um, as a what we have seen circumstantial maybe but certainly implicates him as the guy who planted the shill is that illegal immoral unethical well, a problem the, the issue the issue here is with the money so alex rodriguez has a reputation all around town of owing money um he didn't he didn't declare in his financial disclosure where he got the two thousand dollars that he lent his campaign if he was paid money to run that is a criminal violation in and of itself. If he was paid by the single entity more than the $2,000, that was a bribe to run. It was a contribution over the limit, and it was an unreported contribution. There are legal violations all over the place when it comes to the money here, and that's what we have to find out. Who paid Alex Rodriguez those $2,000? Where did he get them? and where did they originate from, and that's where the criminal violations are going to be. So can I just go back to my original question? Here's this former lawmaker who may be a Miami-Dade commissioner named tomorrow. After what we believe, based on evidence, he has done, what should happen to him? Well, it, it, again, if it's proven that Frank Artiles was the one who negotiated the money and gave it to, to Alex Rodriguez, then again, that's up for the authorities to decide. But as far as I'm concerned, that's that's uh, bribery of, of a you know possible elected official. That's paying someone to run, which is illegal. It's a contribution over the limit, which is illegal. And and then we can see who was pulling Frank Artiles' strings because I'm pretty sure somebody must have. All right, sit tight. We'll be right back with more roundtable in a couple of minutes. Thank you. Welcome back. We are in the midst of a really good roundtable with J.C. Planis and Justin Safey. Justin, let, let me ask you, I'm sure you saw this. You're based in Washington. I know you go back and forth from South Florida to D.C. Washington Post reported yesterday that of the 249 Republican members of Congress, House and Senate, 25 are willing to say Joe Biden won the election. And then last night in Georgia, we once again saw the president at this rally saying, I won the election, it was rigged, it was fraud. When you hear that kind of stuff, what, what do you think? Well, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, look, to be technical about it, if we were fact-checking it, uh, the Electoral College elects the president of the United States. The Electoral College meets and votes on December 14th. I'm not trying to split hairs, but a factual, as a factual matter, Joe Biden is absolutely the presumed president-elect uh, of the United States, and no one should have a doubt about that. Uh, and I, my view on it is, though, is that 
everyone's entitled to pursue their cases in court. Every campaign is, and if the president wants to pursue it, but um, to allege that there was some type of fraud is uh, is bad. And also, um, you know, it's something that I think we've seen in the last few presidential cycles, where you know, going back to George H. Uh, excuse me, George W. Bush. A lot of Democrats didn't think he was a legitimate president, and certainly people didn't think Barack Obama was a legitimate president because of these uh, wrongful allegations about his birthplace. So I, I hope that in the future we can accept the results of an election and not constantly question them like we've seen for over 20 years now. You know what's different about this time than, Justin, the ones you mentioned, and JC, please do weigh in on this, is just the division. Uh, there was some division, there's always been, but mm -hmm. unlike anything yeah. that I've experienced in my short lifetime, and I'm gonna guess you too, Michael, the, yeah, we are such a divided nation, and now we're in the right. midst of a pandemic. Um, and so, JC, what do you see as we're going through this, as December 14th, to Justin's point, comes up in the next week, um, as we go through this pandemic where we're fighting over whether to wear masks, I mean, what, what do, what's going to happen in the next two weeks? The, the president is not being responsible, and I think those who support the president's positions should realize that what the president is doing is dangerous for our history. I was on the other side in 2000, and again, the amount of Democrats that didn't consider George W. Bush legitimate is, is insignificant compared to all the almost 70% of Republicans now who believe that Biden stole this election. Listen, I find electoral fraud for a living. It's evident the day after the election. If there was fraud here, we would have known four weeks ago. It is not the case. The Trump campaign has lost 46 lawsuits in these multiple states, 46 lawsuits they have lost. There was no fraud. It is time to move forward, and the fact that Trump is trying to lead his followers into a very dark place is very scary for America. This is not something that I or probably Justin ever thought we'd see in this country. Yeah, well, I, it, for what it's worth, I think it, the continued refrain that this was stolen from me by the Democrats erodes the fundamental kind Completely. of principles of this country. I mean, we Completely. have to believe in our elections and and salute the people who win them and give them our trust. I think trust- Michael, yeah. if there was any sort of conspiracy, it would have come out. Conspiracies don't work in the modern age with social media. If anyone was involved in switching votes, we would have seen it already. This is theater and it needs to end right away to protect our republic. Well, and, and I, I would say I, I agree, uh, but I would also say that people who are critical now also should be critical of the fact that many Democrats after Donald Trump won uh, four years ago, uh, alleged that Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, put Donald Trump in office. Yes, there's absolutely evidence of Russian interference, but if you, uh, there was a poll taken by Reuters two years after the election in 2018, and a majority of Democratic voters believed wrongfully the conspiracy theory that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to win the election. So that was wrong, too. There was absolutely no evidence of any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. But oh. yet the Democrats at the time pushed that, and we had to have a special counsel, Robert Mueller, get to the bottom of it to investigate it. So I think that, to my point that I said earlier, we need to start accepting the results of the election. Just because the person you don't didn't won't, don't want to win didn't win doesn't mean that it was wrong. So can I just put the headline here as we say goodbye? Is can't we all just get along? <laughs> <laughs> Justin, Safey, JC Planet, it's great to have you. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thank you both. Wonderful.
All right, we'll be right back. We thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And remember, we are online 24-7 at Local10.com. Hang in there. The vaccine is on the way. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.